This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for today's conversation, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. And today we're wrapping up community conversations. It's been an honor to bring voices and conversations to you. These voices have added such wonderful insights about life in a pandemic throughout this past year plus. So I'm going to take some time today to revisit several voices from this last year to reflect on what changes we've witnessed and adaptations we've made along with personal perspectives. And maybe we could all take a few moments to look and see how far we've come. And today, joining me in this review is someone who's been with me throughout it all. He's witnessed my worry and challenges, and I've witnessed his. We've gone through changes in family life, with our child learning from home for many months, and us working from home, and we even traveled to go get our COVID-19 vaccines together, and a whole lot more. Daniel Lem, my spouse, Lower Sioux Indian community citizen, is my guest. We live in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and he spends his time working as a finance professional at a private foundation, and he's in charge of school (laughs) drop-off. Plus, he makes some great spaghetti. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Leah. What do you think about taking this time to talk with me on Community Conversations? How do you feel about it? I feel great. I feel nervous. (laughs) Uh, But really, to uh, have this, this conversation now... Uh, being able to look back over the last year is something that uh, you know taking time to reflect and and whatnot is is something that in some ways I can't believe that we are having this conversation now and at the same time it's like wow it's been so long yeah it's been a long time and we're still in a pandemic and I just want to say I have a lot of gratitude for you Daniel. <laughs> I know it's been such a strange time. We've had the privilege of staying safe this year. So we're going to start with a quick clip from James Vukulich, Turtle Mountain Band. He's a linguist and educator. And he and I and my co-host Cole Primo on the program Bidapi, uh, we talked to him about a year ago now. And I asked him what word he was keeping in mind at the time. Do you have a word that maybe you're inspired by through this conversation that you'd like to share? Well, I was talking about this word last night. Minwendum. Minwendum? Minwendum. Minwendum. And it really means that here she is glad. Here she is joyful. Here she is uh, is happy. I've had these little beautiful moments in the past three weeks, maybe walking with my son, uh, listening to the birds. The birds are coming back here in the cities. I've seen the Opechiwak, the... Robins, the Miskobanesiug, the Cardinals. Uh, there have been incredibly beautiful moments, uh, meals spent with my family. That, and just thinking about people who, who have not been fortunate with their health. That I've had a chance to see the sunrise. That I'm, I'm breathing with good health. I take a, 
for me that gratitude has really helped me to, to keep my thoughts in balance. James Vukalich is talking about keeping his thoughts in balance. Uh, what's something you're grateful for, Daniel? You know, there, there have been some blessings in disguise, I think is one way of putting it. Uh, one of the things that I am grateful for is the amount of time that I've been able to spend with you and Marvin uh, that I ordinarily wouldn't have been able to do because I would have been at the office for, you know, eight to 10 hours uh, a day. And so getting to see how you work is something that uh, I'm grateful for, getting to see how Marvin uh, participated in school uh, from through distance learning was something that was pretty uh, interesting to see. Uh, you know, seeing a, a question be asked and then he's, he's raising his hand and it's like, oh, he's participating in class. <laughs> Uh, so it's being able to spend more time with my family is certainly something that I am grateful for because uh, I am grateful for Yulia. Oh. Uh, so grateful for for Marvin too. Great, yeah. It's it's good to take time and think about what we're grateful for while also acknowledging challenges. So I'm going to ask you the other question. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you during the pandemic during this last year? Two things, two things come to mind uh, with challenges that I've experienced over the over the last year. Here, uh, the first is the amount of time that Marvin spent with you and me. <laughs> you know, somebody at his age, uh, he was what six years old when it started, and then he turned seven. His social development is something that uh, was a challenge uh, for uh, for me, uh, certainly because he needs to be with kids his own age and have those silly conversations that they have, and just learning how to be, you know, who who he is. Uh, you know, there are things that you and I uh, certainly teach him, we guide him on, uh, but then there are things that we just can't uh, take the place of uh, with kids his own age. So Marvin's social development was one challenge. Uh, the other challenge that comes to my mind is just not knowing what is the right thing to do. You know, all our lives, we could just come and go uh, and, and do mostly what we wanted to do, you know, obviously within reason, but then a pandemic hits. And it's like, okay, how do we make sure that we stay safe in a pandemic? Because this is a dangerous world regardless, we become very comfortable with modern conveniences that we have and, uh, and, and all that. But then a, a pandemic hits and it's like, oh man, how do, I, how do I handle this? Human instinct is to make sure that we're safe at all as much as we possibly can be. So then we just don't go anywhere. <laughs> or we, we, I, I go to the grocery store at six in the morning because there's basically nobody else there. And I'm wearing a face mask. And as soon as I get into, get back in my car, I'm putting hand sanitizer all over my hands before I touch anything else. And it's like, I don't even know if this is the right thing to do, but if it, if it does anything to keep my family safe, then uh, of course I'm going to just do my best. Yeah, there's so much that we've learned, uh, but we did have to go through that learning curve. 
so to speak. And I want to bring in another voice. You talked about discomfort, and I think she's perfect for this. Susan Bolio from Red Lake Nation. She works at the U of M, the U of M Extension, and she's great at talking about and adding perspective to having to going through hard times. That's sort of the f- focus of a lot of her work. And here she is. When I start to feel that anxiety about you know, the, the upcoming school year and, you know, in just a few weeks we'll be starting this. Um, just that, like remembering that it's going to be uncomfortable for a while because we're figuring out something new. And anytime you're working, you're trying to do something new, it's uncomfortable. And so how do we sort of just be in that and recognize it and name it and move through it until we find our new, our new normal, our new flow, um, and, and that's going to take some time. So I think for me, remembering that and having some compassion <laughs> for myself around that is going to be important. So Susan says a lot just in these couple seconds of conversation and a few things pop out. It's moving towards a new normal and the discomfort in that. And at the same time, having compassion for ourselves and others while we're all working through it because we all go at our own pace, I suppose, when trying to work through something new. Have you found yourself needing to have compassion for yourself or others? (laughs) Yes, of course. The conversations that I'd have uh, mainly with, uh, with colleagues, and oftentimes people would say, you know, I've got it bad, but I know somebody who's got it worse. And I didn't come up with this. This was uh, something that I read. Similar to what, what Susan said, it's that others might have it worse. Others might have it better. There's always somebody who's going to have it worse. Always somebody who's going to have it better. Uh, you, you are experiencing things too. And you need to have those feelings and you need to process those. Uh, so when it comes to that, that compassion, because we're all going through it together, uh, we can lean on each other uh, and remind ourselves and others that we are experiencing something that that we weren't prepared for and that it's okay to be confused, to to feel discomfort and and do that in your own way. And and once you process that, you know, see how you can be there for others, maybe. Yeah, I think we often talk about it as being as the pandemic being unprecedented in our lifetimes. So how are we supposed to know what to do? Maybe something that we're able to take away uh, from all of this is that if something like this were to happen again, are we going to be better prepared? And I just hope that, yes, we will be. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem, and today my guest and I are doing a year in review, revisiting voices that I've heard from over the last year with Minnesota Native News. And with me is Daniel Lem, who's a finance professional at a private foundation, citizen of the Lower Sioux Indian community, and my spouse. Okay, Daniel, let's talk about a turning point in the pandemic, vaccines. So I'm going to play a little bit from a past guest first. Laz Carrion heads up the COVID team at the Indian Health Board, or IHB, of Minneapolis. He saw firsthand the frustration and then relief of getting the vaccines. 
So initially people were trying to get on this Minnesota vaccine lottery. It's very difficult to try to get in anywhere and just have being like a last minute call. We have an extra dose. We're going to make sure no doses are wasted and calling patients. And um, that's honestly the most rewarding part is seeing patients come in and how joyful. I mean, people have tears in their eyes because I mean, we're living in a pandemic. People are isolated. They're alone. They're not going out. And this is the mm-hmm. next step to some kind of normalcy. So Laz is talking about IHB being able to provide doses in their community in Minneapolis and how even with those extra doses, how folks could come in and get the vaccine and it being a relief because it was so tough to get the vaccine back in January, February, uh, March even, um, before it was as um, readily available or as supply and demand sort of evened out. So let's talk about getting the vaccine because we're both vaccinated. Uh, We had our last doses at the end of March. We both got ours through Cass Lake Indian Health Service at the Leech Lake Boys and Girls Club. And that was pretty surprising. Yeah, so when you told me about it, uh, I was looking at um, looking at all the criteria within the, uh, I think it was a posting on, on social media. And uh, I called up like right away. Uh, I was like, hey, uh, you know, I'm... I'm not a, a band member, but I, I see that it's open to all IHS eligible folks, and and I am, and my wife is as well. And, and are there any other rules about us being able to get the shot? And they're like, nope, just bring your tribal IDs and and um, what time slot works best for you. So within a week, we were we were able to to get in and get our uh, our first shot of the Moderna vaccine. Yeah, and I remember when we were able to get in for our vaccine, it felt almost surreal because most people weren't able to get in yet, at least the younger ages, because we're we're not elders yet. But the tribes had their own criteria for distributing the vaccine. It was really interesting to see tribal sovereignty at work during the vaccine distribution process. And I want to make sure to ask you about your own reaction emotionally to getting the vaccine. What did you think of it? You know, I, I remember that drive over to uh, to Cass Lake and you were trying to interview me uh, for one of your shows. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. It didn't work. <laughs> I was not very talkative no. uh, that morning, and uh, I don't want to. In a one-on-one setting, I can be a little talkative, right, Leah? <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a big moment uh, for uh, for me, for us. So I I remember, uh, you know, we we filled out our forms when we got there. We didn't need our tribal IDs after all. <laughs> That's okay. I needed to update mine. I, anyways. So that I get the shot, you know, and, and you got to go sit down in the bleachers for uh, for at least fifteen minutes. And I think it's been said in other conversations that you have have had where you know just a wave of emotion hits you. And 
I started thinking about, uh, you know, why is it that I'm uh, at the age and I'm a non-essential worker, I'm not an elder, you know, why am I getting the shot right now when there are so many others who need the shot more than me? Maybe I could hold off a little while longer. Um, am I taking a shot uh, that somebody else uh, should be uh, should be getting? I mean, all those sorts of uh, of thoughts and questions um, started to race through my mind, and then I thought about uh, you know our our ancestors and you know what what they went through, what they went through so that I could get this shot now, and 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 part of what they went through is uh, you know with with disease you know their own kind of, of pandemic uh, in in some ways and. Just the fact that what they experienced, uh, what they went through, so that I could get the shot and protect myself and my family and my community, I, I guess it made it okay for me. And I was able to rationalize the fact that I was sitting in the bleachers uh, with the first dose of, uh, of the vaccine uh, in my body and, and to know that you know, I was, uh, I was doing the right thing. Absolutely. You know, it was one of those moments that felt a million miles away from the usual being left behind. And for once it felt like very forward moving against inequities that Native communities often face. And that's a big testament to tribal leaders, community members, advocates for Native communities, the great folks like we just heard from IHB and IHS and Native American Community Clinic and all the tribal clinics just really looking out for tribal people. Yeah, and I I, I just want to say Wopi de Tonka to the leech Lake Band of Ojibwe for uh, giving me uh, and Leah the opportunity uh, to get that first dose uh, when it was presented. Uh, Chimiguach. <laughs> yeah. And another thing we noticed when we went back and got our second dose is they had opened it up to the neighboring communities to get as well, native, non-native, anybody in the regional area there. And I talked to Daniel Fry, who's the Bemidji Area Director of the Indian Health Services, just not too long ago, I think last week, and we uh, talked about the tribal roles in vaccinating their communities and the wider community. They got to the point where they had moved through all of their all of their tiers within the tribes. And the one thing that the tribes did uh, was really be that broader a broader bridge to the community to be able to vaccinate the community as well. Uh, we certainly saw it here in Bemidji um, where the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, um, they were almost solely responsible uh, for vaccinating uh, a three or four county service area because they they made a decision early on that they wanted to make sure that their, their citizens were protected by making sure that everyone around them was also vaccinated. So they had opened it up for anyone in the community um, pretty early in the process. Uh, and, and a lot of tribes across the area did exactly the same. They recognized that they had a, a role to play and that they were embedded in those communities um, from here all the way to Sault Ste. Marie and that they could be that partner 
And that, that's why I, I think it was it was really awesome to see uh, the the response from the tribal nations and the decisions that they made. Because once that vaccine uh, arrived in, in uh, on the reservations, the tribal councils had the flexibility to to do what they wanted with the vaccine and set their own priorities. Um, and, and they all decided that they knew what they needed to do, and that's get everyone around them vaccinated too, not just their own populations. So again, that was Daniel Fry, the Bemidji Area Director of the Indian Health Services, talking about tribal nations, tribal communities vaccinating those around them as well, because the the virus does not care about borders. And so knowing that protecting your own community involves protecting the wider community as well is a big step in getting the pandemic under control. All right, so we're going to look forward just a little bit here towards the end of our conversation. Um, you are in a position in the organization you work with to help steer kind of the working, the working habits of the organization. Can you talk a little bit about the distance work versus hybrid versus what, what are you thinking going forward with, with what work will look like in the next year, maybe? We have to think about how can we be most effective? How can we advance our charitable mission as much as we possibly can? What did we learn uh, over the last year about how can we be productive as well as how can we ensure that the social aspects of our work, uh, not only externally, internally as well, uh, because there are relationships amongst colleagues that we have that uh, when I do talk to you know my colleagues, it's something that comes up in every time. You know, I miss seeing the people that I work with. That's a lot of what we're missing right now. Uh, in addition to you know the work that we used to do, a lot of that has changed. So, is the hybrid model going to be the right way for us to uh, work moving forward? I think it's it's something that we are absolutely considering uh, because we know we don't have to be in the office five days out of the week in order to be effective. You've been effective many days of the week. <laughs> On Zoom, I know you... Uh, start working pretty early in the morning and you keep answering emails and telephone calls on into the evening. So I was doing that pre-pandemic. I know. Though. Sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. But when I'm yelling at you when dinner's ready, I don't know. I expect you to turn that phone off. <laughs> I do got to eat sometimes. And I do. <laughs> Okay, we are going to end with one more clip from Patina Park, who is Minakoju Lakota and is the Director of Tribal State Relations and Systems Implementation at the State of Minnesota. And we, we talked to her, Cole Primo and I, on Badapi about a year ago about adapting to the pandemic within her new role, which it, her new role began only a handful of days before the pandemic hit. Every day I am amazed at the level of focus and intense desire to get things done at all levels, in all agencies, not just to deal with the crisis now, but to project out what could potentially happen and, and plan in advance and keeping a really positive and hopeful attitude. You know, my dad used to say this, you know, got to be the buffalo, right? Buffalo run through a storm. They don't sit there like cows and wait for it to pass over them. 
but it's really bad and that intense moment running through it. Um, but they get to the other side faster. And I kind of keep reminding myself that this is what this feels like. Like we're, we are literally running into the storm right now, but there will be an end to it. And hopefully we're, we're a, a better unit, a more collective collaborative unit um, because of this experience. So I feel like right now, you know, we've gone through that worst part of the storm with the thunder and the tornadoes and the lightning, and now we're in the the rain, perhaps to extend that metaphor. Patina Park talked about her work, her colleagues really upping their focus and and the intensity of their work and becoming a better more collective, collaborative unit through the experience. Do you relate to that? Yes, I do. I believe that my team came together more as a result of thinking through how can we strengthen our processes. There's different sayings out there, um, and I'm not going to use... So there's a saying from Warren Buffett. Use the cheesiest one. All right. (laughs) So I I think it was Warren Buffett who said that uh, when the tide goes out, you find out who's wearing a bathing suit. (laughs) And and, and that's what happens uh, when when systems are disrupted. Mm. It really makes you think uh, about what have we been doing and were we complacent in in the way that we did things and how can we strengthen what it is that we do. Patina is absolutely correct mm-hmm. uh, in that hopefully we're stronger mm-hmm. and I, I definitely hope that for all people, all businesses, uh, because you know as we're able to um, look at our systems uh, and be as efficient and effective as we possibly can be uh, is a way for us to advance our missions and do our best work uh, for the benefit, I believe, of, of everyone. A big thank you for helping me wrap up these conversations. It's been a whole year, and uh, it's just been really incredible. So be great. I also want to say, oh. Leah, that I'm really proud of you. Oh. And these, <laughs> these community conversations have been incredibly valuable. I'd say invaluable, uh, not only to me, uh, but to the community as well. People needed a forum to process, uh, to share their experiences, uh, to hear others and be heard themselves. So Aww. thank you. <laughs> thank you for the last year of community conversations and all of the gifts um, and stories that you've been, um, that you've shared uh, with us all. And thank you for listening today. It's been such a great experience talking with everyone this past year during these conversations. And I'm glad you've shared this time with us today and these many, many months. And big thank you to our engineer, Justice Sanchez, project manager, Aaron Warhol, and all those who lent their voices and stories to COVID-19 Community Conversations. And we're winding down our conversations for this particular program. But as always, we continue to hear from Native folks sharing their gifts and purpose on Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Find all of Minnesota Native News' content at 
minnesotanativenews.org. That's mnnativenews.org. And on our podcast stream, miigwech, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.